Hey everyone, this is Regan, and also a very special episode of You Pick, We Watch. Um, this week, Jess is actually on vacation, an area that doesn't really have great uh, cell reception, so uh, we decided to postpone our Starship Troopers episode to next Monday, and in the meantime, I thought I would do a versus episode on the two versions of the 1999 Mel Gibson film, Payback. So I want to tell you a story. Um, a long time ago, in pre-quarantine April of this year, I ordered a Blu-ray copy of Payback because it was one of my favorite movies um, growing up from, you know, in the early 2000s. I think it was on TNT a lot. But every time it was on TV, it was one of those movies I'd drop what I was doing and just watch it all the way through. So I order. I wasn't really sure if the director's cut was significantly different or not. Um, but I didn't want to miss out if it was. So I thought I would get a theatrical uh, director's cut, you know, both edition Blu-ray, just to be safe. And then I found out it was being shipped from the UK. And then the borders started shutting down, and all kinds of stuff started getting crazy. And the one thing I was really bummed about was my DVD never came. So fast forward all the way up to August 1st. And about roughly four months later, I checked my mailbox, and it can't, I actually forgot that it was still in transit. I just accepted the fact that I was never going to get this DVD. But, nonetheless, I opened up my mailbox, there it was, and I was so excited about it that I watched both versions of the movie today, back to back. And that's what gave me the idea for this episode. So, this is Payback, the theatrical version versus the director's cut. So, uh, just a little background on the movie. Payback is a Mel Gibson sort of revenge movie described as after a successful heist, Porter is left for dead. Once he recovers, he seeks revenge and wants his share of the money. And that's actually pretty succinct. Um, it is based on a Richard Stark novel that was, I think, the first in a, a series of novels about the same character. Um, but yeah, it stars Mel Gibson, who does not need any introduction. Um, this is one of my favorite roles of his, actually, um, especially in the 90s. I think the only other movie that I can... only two movies I can remember that he was super good in in the 90s was Braveheart, which is just, you know, per despite all the rampant historical inaccuracies, I still love it as a movie. And then also the, I think it was a 94 movie Maverick, which is uh, sort of like a period comedy about getting into a poker championship. But it's that's a great movie all by itself. Um, the only other person of much fame here, I guess, uh, for that era is uh, Maria Bello. So she's been in a few things... Um, I would say most notably uh, Coyote Ugly, um, Assault on Precinct 13, A History of Violence, and not long after that she kind of 
falls off the radar a little. So she's been in a few things. It also has a pre, I think a pre-famous uh, Lucy Liu as a supporting character. Um, oh yeah, also Chris Christopherson, who's always great. Um, yeah, I think that's about all the famous people that are in that. Uh, it was directed by Brian Hegeland. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, and I think uh, the movie I most associate him with... Actually, it looks like he's done more writing um, that I'm familiar with. So he wrote A Knight's Tale, A Man on Fire, L.A. Confidential, which are all pretty solid movies in my, uh, in my book anyway. So... Getting into the movie here. So I first watched the unrated version of, or not the unrated, the director's cut version today. Um, I did notice immediately that it had kind of a grittier tone, and um, based on a special feature that I watched after, um, the director said that he was kind of going for a 70s kind of feel to it in regard to like cynicism and ambiguity that kind of grew out of the Vietnam era, and that was something that kind of, as old Hollywood was kind of like coming to the end in the 50s and 60s, a lot of big production movies were bombing because they weren't really, they weren't writing for the younger audiences. At least that's that's like part of a, a much more complicated issue, but they took a lot of chances on up-and-coming directors that ended up knocking it out of the park in the 70s with like experimental filming techniques and stuff like that. Martin Scorsese is probably one of the most famous to come out of that area. He did or that era. He directed Taxi Driver, which was like um, you know one of his <laughs> one of his claims to fame now. But those movies just feel a lot different than anything that came before and a lot that came after too it's a, a very interesting time for movies but um, even that being the case um, that same kind of tone didn't translate too well into the 90s um, I guess audiences you know tastes evolve over time and in the 90s it wasn't really there weren't movies made with that same kind of gritty vibe um, he was, the director wanted, his vision for it was more in the line of, like, the French Connection and what people were comfortable with in the time is kind of, like, more accessible movies that, you know, didn't make you think that hard, but I'd say something along the lines of, like, Lethal Weapon 4 or, you know, just movies that are not too dark, not too light, just right. Um, so based on that, the, uh, they shot the movie, and um, it actually didn't test well with audiences. Like, no one said it was a bad movie, but it's, <laughs> it's pretty dark. Um, <laughs> it essentially wasn't something that the higher powers of the, of the uh, studio were looking for, and um, Mel... Gibson being a producer of the film also, he helped come up with some changes and rewrites that overall, I think you could make an argument that it improved the movie, uh, but at the same time it did compromise like the director's vision for it, so he 
he left the film, or actually, I'm not sure if he was technically fired or not. Um, I just know that, um, like, he didn't leave on bad terms with Mel, but he was kind of, I guess, forced out of that movie. Um, which, you know, that's, that's never great. The interesting thing in that regard to me is, even though that happened, what did get released was still pretty good. So, I know there's a lot, whenever there's friction with, like, the studio or producers and the final project, or I mean, I'm sorry, the director, um, usually that compromises the final project. Um, case in point would be the, I think, last year's Hellboy is probably the freshest example in my mind, where the director had an idea for One Direction, and the producers really did not like it, and at the end of the day, it kind of felt like two different movies were being scotch-taped together, and it made less sense. Um, so, with the director's cut, um, I, I'm not really sure who reached out to who, but Mel... I think about five years later, let him recut the movie into uh, the director's version. So, um, that is kind of why it's very tonally different than what was released theatrically. And all I can say is it's grittier. Um, I think the color is used a lot better in the director's cut because in the theatrical release uh, the film is actually tinted blue it's got like a blue filter to it which that is a stylish note that I appreciated back in the day but when you go from um, the full full color version of it to the blue filter it's it's doesn't really the the filter doesn't really hold up to what was actually being filmed I guess and, uh, like I said, it's darker, and Mel's character is actually kind of more of a bad guy. And not like, uh, not like a bad guy, he's just kind of morally gray. Which, you know, it's, it's that kind of movie. Um, yeah, so the theatrical version, uh, again, I saw that a lot on TV. It's, uh, for a long time, that was the only version of the movie I was familiar with. So, um, that was really all, all I knew about it, but, um, there is a voiceover that Mel thought would help you kind of, help you as the audience be tied in kind of closer to the main character, and just to have a better grasp of what's going on, and being able to, like, walk through that world with him, sort of, and overall I'd agree, it's, uh, the, the gravelly, tone is pitch perfect for it, really kind of helps set the mood. Um, I would say this version does feel, it's less ambiguous and more streamlined, so it's kind of, I would say it's, you could say it's easier to access the plot um, in this version. Um, yeah, the, uh, the voiceover does help add kind of a film noir feel to the movie, and kind of clarified a couple things for me. Um, this version does have more of a tongue-in-cheek tone, so it's not, again, it's a serious movie, but it doesn't take itself super seriously, which I think works in its favor. The, um, I think that the major difference 
the major difference for me is that um, writing the writing actually got ramped up as far as changes that were made so the theatrical version has an entirely different third act and they added at least 10 minutes to the runtime they added I think they got away with or they they cut a couple minor characters and then expanded and added a couple new ones that weren't in the original version and again that that does work in its favor it gives it kind of a it adds more logic and concrete sense to the movie as opposed to the I'd say a little bit more ambiguity of the director's cut and that version is just a, a little more fun for me so again the original way more serious the theatrical it's it's generally just uh, got a little bit of a lighter tone to it which is pretty nice so at this point we'll move into trivia here and behind the scenes stuff um, so this will just be a few facts about um, one or both aspects of the cuts so like I said the uh, main character isn't like he's not a convention a conventional conventionally uh, likable character um, you know you do root for him you can empathize with him but right in the beginning of the movie it's um, he's he's very much a man who's been wronged and is mad about it so um, one thing I've I read recently was um, on Brandon Sanders best-selling author Brandon Sanderson's site um, he has a a lecture on like character likability for like main characters and usually there's three aspects of character that um, impact the likability for the audience so that's um, the overall likability I'll say because one of those categories is likability and then there is proactivity and then competency so you can be you know imagine those being sliders that you can move up and down um, as long as you have you know higher scores in two out of three uh, the audiences will usually be able to like identify with a character and root for them so for the main character of this movie Porter uh, he does some bad things I would say his likability is a bit low for the most part but he makes up for that with being very proactive and very competent too so yeah I think those three aspects are things that people naturally find as interesting and enjoy watching people be good at stuff or yeah, I guess being nice and no one really likes a passive main character um, but uh, moving on to the director so I mentioned uh, Brian Hegland <laughs> he uh, separated from the movie but from what I read here it sounds like he was fired two days after he won the Academy Award for LA Confidential so that's gotta be that's gotta be pretty frustrating um, a major addition to the movie after Hanglin left and uh, actually I think the the reshoots that they did 
Oh, it's actually later in this paragraph here. Okay, so uh, one of the major additions to the movie after the director left was the inclusion of Chris Christopherson's character of the main villain. So the reshoots resulted in a delay of almost a year. So I think the film filming wrapped early 1998. It was going through like post-production, supposed to be released, and then that's when it didn't like test well with audiences and stuff like that. So, um, they did 10 more days of filming, which is significant, and uh, all the reshoots and, you know, uh, post-production for that kind of delayed the schedule almost a year, partially because Gibson was also committed to Lethal Weapon 4 in 1998. So, <laughs> one year later in 99, they were finally able to release it, and it got uh, more favorable reviews. Uh, Brian Hengland, again, it's it's a weird combination of G's and L's going on in his last name, so that's why I keep butchering that. Uh, I'll just call him Brian. So, Brian cast uh, Maria Bello after an endless search that led him to a stack of videotape auditions for the defunct 1990s update of Superman. Uh, after offering her the role, Bello turned it down, saying that the role really wasn't for her, uh, he wanted her to be in the movie so badly that he literally hounded her for two weeks before she finally agreed to do it. So, it sounds a little stalkerish, but, uh, yeah, once she was able to read the script and kind of sit down and talk to him about it, it was something that uh, she turns out wanted to do, and I think she did a pretty good job in it, too. Um, the last two facts coming up here. Uh, again, this is going to be kind of a shorter episode, but um, so there's a scene where um, Mel Gibson's character Porter pickpockets a guy's wallet in the beginning of the movie, and um, that required a open casting call to find someone who looked reasonably enough like Mel Gibson. The guy who got the gig wasn't an actor, but had been told throughout his life he bore a <laughs> resemblance to Gibson, which is kind of funny. Um, yeah, when I saw him in the movie, I didn't think immediately that he looked like Mel Gibson, but I think that's kind of the point, is he looks close enough. If someone gave you a photo ID or flashed one really quickly, I think I'd probably buy it. The last um, the last piece of trivia here is actually a callback to our first episode, in a way. So, at the 50-minute mark, there is a Chinese gangster with a knife who's actually Jeff Imada, he served as a stunt coordinator on L.A. Confidential, the 2011 movie Hannah, and uh, Furious 7 in 2015. He has a lot of... Uh, he's got a lot on his resume as far as Hollywood goes and stunt coordination and um, you know, just kind of like writing fights for movies. But how that relates to our first episode is he was the fight coordinator and stunt coordinator for John Carpenter's They Live... So that ridiculous, like, what was it, eight-minute fight between Rowdy Roddy Piper and uh, and his uh, friend in that movie, yeah, that was that was done by him. And we all should write him an email to thank him. <sighs> well, that is pretty much the gist of that. I would say that it's very rare that <laughs> that the plot of one movie spawns two different versions of that same story. Um, I haven't really seen that happen in Hollywood 
at least to my knowledge. Um, there's definitely been movies, uh, especially with Ridley Scott, that he will film, you know, like a three and a half hour movie, and then the studio cuts it down by an hour or so, and it feels like a different movie, and there's usually, to me, director's cut means an extended edition, but this is not that. So if there's the theatrical version, which is just fine, um, and then the director's cut, which is a completely different ending, um, characters being, you know, uh, subtly different, um, the, I'd say from just after the beginning to about the midpoint, the movie's largely the same, but again, at one point, the two movies diverge, and I was genuinely surprised at how much difference there was between the two uh, versions. And that's, <laughs> that's all I have for today. I'll, I'll say I give both versions two thumbs up. So if you are looking to check out a new movie and you might want to go back through the 90s to have a look at what's available, I would highly recommend 1999's Payback. Thank you all for tuning in this week. We'll be, again, we'll be back up and running as business as usual next week on Monday, where we'll be talking about Super Troopers. Nah, I always, I always mess that up. Jess and I were just joking about this. Not Super Troopers, Starship Troopers. Again, two wildly different movies. One is about Marines fighting bugs in space, and the other one is about a squad of... Vermont State Highway Patrolmen. Again, very different movies. But, nonetheless, we'll be talking about Starship Troopers next Monday. So, this has been You Pick, We Watch. You can always add more movies to our watch list by emailing the podcast at youpickwewatch at gmail.com. Uh, you can like us on Facebook and Twitter for uh, more up-to-date things. I would say that comes in handy when something like this happens and um, we're not able to record a regular episode. Uh, so you can get the word out to everyone that something like this happens. A special impromptu episode. So, um, thanks again for listening. You can catch me at Author Regan Brooks on Facebook and Instagram. I hope you all have a blast this week, and hey, have a good one.